Our Lifehouse Church, Seb here, and welcome to our online service. We're currently in our series called Origins, which is focusing on the book of Genesis. So strap yourselves in, get your writing utensils ready, because we're about to head to the message. That's so cool, isn't it? can't believe it. I love how God just takes all our unique giftings and skills and talents and uses them for His glory. That's absolutely awesome. Thank you, Jess. Well, how are we going this morning? I'm glad to see that you all made it here despite the rain. The faithful ones who are here. No. (laughs) Hello to everyone on the live stream. We love you. (laughs) Uh, Well, we have been in a uh, pretty cool series, I reckon, uh, called Origins. Who's been here for all three of them or listened to all three of them? It's been great, hasn't it? Josh preached two incredible back-to-back messages right at the beginning, um, which were amazing. If you haven't heard them, go back and, and listen to them. And then um, Pastor Walter last week preached on Cain and Abel, another incredible message. And this morning when I was prepping for – well, actually, I wasn't prepping this morning – I did prep earlier than that, but this week when I was um, prepping, I was um, kind of asking God, you know, what should I speak on when it comes to this origin Genesis theme? And I really felt to talk about Abram and, well, sorry, his name is also Abraham. Um, God changes it later on in the book of Genesis. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I reckon I'll talk about him. He's kind of like this founder of the faith. Um, But when prepping for it, Josh had kind of spoken with each of us who were speaking and he said, you know, I'd really like someone to speak specifically on Genesis 15. Now, Genesis 15 is a bit of a weird kind of book and you'll understand it in a moment. Um, But when he said that, I kind of thought, oh, nah, (laughs) you know, that's a little bit too weird. That's a bit too hard. It's a bit too theological. So I'm just going to put that aside, let someone else do that one. But um, of course, when I was praying and seeking God what to speak about, I felt Genesis 15. So um, we're going to give it a crack and see how we go. Um, I actually have spoken on Genesis 15 before. I spoke on the first six verses. It's kind of like the non-weird bit of Genesis, um, the more popular bit. You might know the story. Abraham, Abram at the time was in the tent um, and he was having this conversation with God. He's like, God, what can you possibly give me? Because I don't have a kid. There is nothing you could give me that would make me joyful or excited because I don't have a child. He and his wife were quite old and they had been unable to have children and he was having a bit of a, a whinge to God. And God says, not for long. And he brings him out of the tent and he says, look up at the stars. Can you count them all? And he says, These words that so shall your descendants be, as numerous as the stars are, so shall your descendants be. And it was this beautiful, exciting moment. And it says in verse 6 that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's the bit that we talk about. It's great and I love it. Um, Abram believed the Lord. He had great faith that even though his situation looked pretty bleak, he had great faith that God was going to change that around and he was going to bless him and make him into a great nation. And you know what? I feel like I've had my own little Abraham moment um, with God when I was about 17. I was at a CRC conference, all good things, denomination called CRC, Christian Revival Churches. We had um, the national director come here not too long ago, Pastor Bill Vasilakis. But anyway, we're at, um, oh, sorry, got something in my eye. Uh, we're at this conference 
And um, I don't know who said this, but someone came up to either Pastor Josh or Sam, maybe both of them, and he pointed over to me and said, that young girl over there, she's going to have a really anointed son. And they, um, they told me about this, and I remember just crying because I was like, oh, I, at the time, you know, I think all single girls kind of go through this, maybe guys, I'm not sure, but definitely I think all single girls kind of go through this moment where they're like, am I going to be single for the rest of my life? Has God called me to that? Has he called me just to this life of just loving him and never having a husband? And I was in that state where I was like, oh, this is probably going to be my life. 17 years old, you know, (laughs) it's pretty hard, pretty hard. Um, So when I got told that, I just cried. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this speaks of the future. This means that I'm going to one day be married and I'm going to have this anointed son who's going to live out this this legacy and that he's going to, you know, carry on the work that God starts in me. And it was this exciting, exciting moment. Obviously, not as exciting as Abram's. That was kind of pretty full on. But for me, it was exciting. So that's kind of what happens in verse 1 to 6. He gets this call, this dream for the future. You know, you're going to have heaps of kids. There's going to be this whole nation that is birthed from you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be prosperous in everything that you do. And then it gets weird. Actually, no, it doesn't get weird. The weirdness is later. This is what happens after that. So that was verse 1 to 6. We pick up in verse 7. Um, God says to him, to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know? It's kind of this interesting switch that seems to happen in Abram. He's like one moment, yes, I believe it's all this miraculous stuff. I believe that God is going to do that. I trust it. I have faith. It was counted to him as righteousness. And then all of a sudden when God kind of boils it down and he starts talking about something specific, something, you know, tangible that's, that could happen, all of a sudden Abram's like, yeah, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a little bit of confirmation on that one. Have you ever said that before to God? God, how am I to know? Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you know Jeremiah 29, 11. That is on your toilet door. You know, you memorize that, that God has the, knows the plans that he has for me, plans that prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. And you're like, yes, I believe it. I know that there is this great Big future filled with milk and honey and lollipops and rainbows and everything that I could ever want. This perfect plan that God has for me. But when it comes to the specifics, sometimes I I get a little bit worried. Sometimes we can get a little bit stumped on the specifics, wondering if I choose the wrong thing, if I make the wrong decision, is this whole big perfect plan that God has going to come tumbling down? And we can fear, we can worry about the future. Have you ever felt like that? When I had that word given to me about having an anointed son, I just accepted it straight away. I was like, yeah, I believe that. That's going to happen. That's in the future. Obviously, that's not going to happen right now. You know, I'm, I'm pretty young and I'm not married and all that sort of stuff. I'm going to, unless it's Mary again, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that's probably going to be in the future. I wasn't too worried about that. But what I did start to worry about was, oh, God, how am I to know which person you want me to marry? 
you know, the kind of bit more specific thing that started to cause questions and concerns in my mind. I'm sure that someone might be able to relate with me on that. Maybe that's you at the very moment. Maybe you're single and you're like, how do I know the person that God has for me that will help me reach this bright, brilliant future that God has in store for me? Maybe you have kids and you really want what's best for them and you're struggling thinking, okay, what should I do for their school? Should I homeschool them? Should I send them here? Should I send them there? God, how will I know where they need to go so that they can reach their full potential, reach this big plan that you have for them? You might understand that God is Jehovah Jireh, you know, the Lord God, our provider. Yet when it comes to choosing a career or choosing a job, you might be thinking, yeah, but which one is the provision that God has For me, we can get stumped on the specifics. Worry that with one wrong move, this whole thing is going to come tumbling down. And, you know, Abram Abram seems to be a little bit in this headspace at this moment. He's like, I believe you, God. I believe this big plan that you have for me. But this land, like, how do I know for sure that you're actually going to give me this land? Like, is there some type of contract? Is there this? I need this thing that we're going to sign. Is there a land title that you're going to give me? Like, I need something, God, contract, anything. And God kind of says, you know what? I do have a contract. And so this is where it gets weird in Genesis 15, verse 9. God says to him, bring me a heifer. What's a heifer? A cow. Sorry, bring me a cow, three years old, (laughs) a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, not to be confused with a turtle, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. Like, what is going on? Oh, but he did not cut the birds in half. That's nice. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, what is going on? on here. This is weird. If we were Abram in this story, we would be like, uh, why do you want all these animals, God? Like, I just asked you for a confirmation, you know, about this land and you, you want me to gather all these animals. But Abram, he knew straight away what it meant because it was part of their culture when it came to making a contract. Whereas in our culture, when we make a covenant or a binding legal contract, um, we don't get animals and chop them in half, (laughs) would you believe it? What we do instead is we sign a piece of paper. We sign a contract that says, yep, you know, I agree to the terms that are on this. We don't say, yep, she'll be right, mate. We actually sign it. It's kind of this, this legal thing that happens. At the moment, I'm kind of a bit in a precarious place with our dog. Um, Brock and I have recently got a little puppy. He's super cute. He's a rascal. He's called Bruno, a little German shepherd pup. Um, but the thing is, he's got this microchip in his ear. And at the moment, the microchip says that he belongs to the breeders. And all we need from the breeders is to bring this form, this contract, if you will, and um, ask them to sign it. Once their signature is on that, it's like, okay, 
right? You know, Bruno is yours. But right now, I'm fearing that they're going to roll around to our house. They don't even know where we live. But I'm fearing that they're going to come up and that they're going to take Bruno away and that there's going to be no consequences against it because kind of like the, the form hasn't been signed. You know what I mean? It's still sort of in their name. I don't really know how it works. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But I know that once that form is signed, once we've got that little squiggle on a piece of paper, it means, all right, there is no connection anymore between the breeders and him. I sign that he is your dog, um, your responsibility, and that is all that we need, right? That's how contracts work these days. We, we just simply sign it. But back in the day, it was a little bit weirder than that. A lot weirder than that. They made a covenant by cutting an animal <laughs> or multiple animals in half, laying them on the ground... And what would happen next is someone would walk between those pieces of animal. Basically saying, if I don't keep my end of the deal, if I break the agreement that we're making today, may my body be like these animals. Very full on. I don't think you would do that when you were buying a dog because it would kind of be a little bit counterintuitive, you know, slaying animals when you're trying to gain an animal. Anyway, that's what would happen. When you walked through the animals, that was the signature. You know, that was the binding moment. You were bound to what you said. And if you didn't keep up your end of the bargain, watch out. We read about this style of agreement in Jeremiah. So it's not only seen here in Genesis, it's also seen in Jeremiah. The people of Israel had made a covenant with God. They said, all right, we agree that on the seventh year, we're going to set all our slaves free. God's like, great, that's what I want you to do. We're going to, we're going to make this contract, this covenant together. And so they chopped a calf in half, laid it on the ground. And the way Jeremiah writes it, it sounds like the whole country of Israel literally filed between this dead animals saying, if we do not let our slaves free, may our bodies lie on the ground for the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air to eat. May it be on our heads. May we pay with our blood if we do not do what we are committing to do. And at first the people do it. They set the slaves free in the seventh year, but they didn't keep their end for long. They were like Pharaoh, they changed this design. Got everyone back, coming back. You know, you're going to be in captivity again. And as soon as they did that, this is what God says here in Jeremiah, verse, chapter 34, verse 18. And the men who transgressed, another word for that is violated my covenant, and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut up in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, 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 the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf, and I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Look out. That is pretty brutal. But that's what they had agreed to, right? And they had violated the covenant that they had made. And so they paid the price with their lives. So bringing it now back to Abram in Genesis 15. Abram knew right away when God said, all right, bring me a heifer and a 
turtle and a dead pigeon, turtle dove. Um, he says, bring me those stuff. Abram knew right away what that meant. He knew that they were about to enter into a binding covenant together. He'd asked God for confirmation on his promise to give him this land to him and to his ancestors. And this is how God answers. He says, all right, let's make it official. Let me sign that piece of paper. Bring out the animals and let's do this thing properly. And so this is what it says next, Genesis 15, verse 12. As the darkness over him, then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now this doesn't really sound all fantastic but at the end of the day God was still fulfilling a promise. He was spelling out what was going to happen but the part here that I find really encouraging is that God says no for certain. How good is it to know something for certain? How good is it to have clarity? And we can find that in, in God. And so next it talks about how God makes the covenant with Abram. But before we read that, let's have a little bit of a look at what this covenant is actually all about. We get a bit of an understanding of what God was signing, what he was saying, yep, I'm committing to do this. In Genesis 12, verse 1 to 2, we'll read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I read all through these, these chapters to see what God was committing to. And time and time again, you know what it said? I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. I'll bless you and your descendants. I'll make you prosperous. God is committing to this blessing. You could say God was committing to show Abram and his family favor and grace all the days of his life and beyond. That was the promise that God was committing to. Now, what did Abram need to commit to? Was he committing, yep, all right, those promises that you're giving me, I'm going to um, outwork them. You know, I'm going to make sure that I get this land and I'm going to make sure I have a kid. So, you know, maybe I need to find a new wife or something, you know. That's not what he was committing to. That is not what God was expecting of him when they made this agreement together. We find in Genesis 17 what God was asking of him. Um, in verse 1, it says, For him to walk before him blameless all the days of his life. And then verse 10, it says that all the males will be circumcised kind of as this outward sign that they are a part of the covenant. They were the two things that God really was, was expecting. He just wanted perfection. You know, it's not hard, is it? No, but that's what Abram needed to do. That was his end of the bargain, to walk before God blamelessly, to trust him, to believe him as he did at the beginning, believe what he said was true. So let's read what happens next. That was the contract. Um, but remember, at this stage, Abram was in a deep sleep. Yeah? This is what it says. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen 
a smoking fire pot with a blazing furnace, sorry, blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, Euphrates, to the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. I probably got five of them wrong, but that's what he said. It says that on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. But hang on a moment. What was Abram doing? He was sleeping. Literally, Abram was sleeping through this whole thing. That's like getting married to someone and sleeping through the ceremony, right? It just doesn't make sense, does it? We read before in Jeremiah that not just God, but the people walk through that, that cut-up animal to say, let it be my blood that falls if I fail. And they did fail, and so it was their blood that fell. It was them who paid the price with their lives. But that isn't what we read here. It says that Abram lay by these pieces. Extreme. God walks through them. What does that mean? Something extremely significant. Abram never walked through them himself, which means that God not only signed that he would keep his end of the deal, that he would keep his promises, but he actually signed on behalf of Abram saying, if you do not keep your promise, if you fail to walk before me blamelessly, I'm not just going to take on the the punishment if I fail, I'm going to take on the punishment if you fail. For your shortcomings, I will wear the punishment. Let it be my life. Let it be my body that is broken. Isn't that incredible? The covenant was for Abram to walk before God blamelessly, right? Basically to be perfect. But God anticipated his failure. I am so glad that God anticipated our failure, that he anticipated my failure. Man, where would I be without that? He understood the human condition. Try as we may, we're never going to make it. So God ensured a safety net that day rather than making Abram walk his way through those animals, making that covenant saying, let me wear the weight of my shortcomings. God said, let me wear the weight of your shortcomings. Let me wear the weight of your failure. Let it be my body that bears the price. So therefore, it's not our or Abram's blamelessness that makes us right, that gets us through. It's our belief in the saving grace of God. And this is already foreshadowed in Genesis 15:6. I kind of quoted it before. The New Living Translation says, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his works. No. The Lord counted him as righteous because of his blamelessness. No. The Lord counted it righteousness, him as righteous because of his faith. It's never about our works. And sometimes I think we can fail to miss that. We might understand, yeah, okay, God loves me. He died for me, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I still need to make sure I work really hard. 
I still need to make sure that I scrub myself up and love people really well and serve my heart out and not swear and not drink and be faithful in my marriage. All those things are, you know, very good things. But at the end of the day, that is never going to make us blameless before God. The only thing that will make you and I blameless before God is Jesus Christ and believing the sacrifice that He made. That is the only way. It's not us. It's Him. Believing in Him through faith that we are made righteous. You know, this is a really handy thing because the next chapter over, we just have been reading Genesis 15. Genesis 16, Sarai, Abram's wife, remember, who's really old, comes up with this great plan. She's like, I know how we're going to outwork the promises that God has, you know. What we need to do, Abram, is you need to sleep with my servant, Haggai, and then you can have a kid that way. Yay! No, that is the opposite of what God was saying. That is the opposite of trusting him and, and walking before him blamelessly. Yet, Genesis 16, verse 2, look, we hadn't even gotten to the third verse, and it says this, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. He listened to the voice of his wife above the voice of God. And let me tell you, the two times that's happened in the Bible so far, and we're only up to Genesis 15 out of the whole Bible, the two times it's already happened have been fatal. First time, right? Adam listening to Eve. Oh, yeah, that fruit looks great. Yeah, give me some of that. When he was actually meant to say no, That's not the way we're meant to do this, Eve. And Abram was meant to say that to Sarai. No, he was meant to lead her. Man, that's what we're meant to do. I mean, I'm not a man, you. (laughs) Meant to lead them and and, and show them the way that God has for them, the the way that he's going to outwork his purpose. But he doesn't. Abram fails. Sarai fails. Does that mean that this covenant is broken? That God's promises are out the window now? No, because it was never, the covenant was never based upon Abram's ability to outwork those promises, but God's ability. It was never about him and his works. Although God, of course, encourages us to walk before him, he knows we're going to fail. He knew Abram was going to fail and he had already worked it out. So back to the question that started all of this. Abram asked God, how will I know? How will I know? And this is how God answers. It's magnificent. It's not just answering his current question. It's, it's actually giving this hopeful future redemption plan for all of humanity. But when you think about it, it's still not really practically answering the question that, uh, that Abram has. You know, it's not really saying, okay, this is the plan, we're going to go here and there, and then I'm going to give you this, and blah, blah, blah. His answer was, Abram, you can trust me. His answer was binding himself to Abram. Brock and I have this um, little trick that we do with Bruno, where um, we say, wonder, and um, he comes and he sits in between our legs as like this protective stance, you know. We came up with the name because we thought like if we're out and about and there's a scary person walking up, we don't want to be like, quick Bruno, come and sit between our legs and protect us. 
or like guard us or something because we thought that would be giving it away and it could be a little bit awkward. So we thought we'd just say wonder, not really thinking about the word too much. People have pointed out that wonder probably sounds like we want him to wander away, which is kind of the opposite of what we want him to do. But he's learnt it, right? We say wonder and he comes up close to us and he sits between our legs. Sorry to liken God to a dog. (laughs) But when we start to wonder, am I good enough? Is my sin too great? I've failed so many times. Is God's promises still true? When we wonder, God is still drawing in close to us. Or maybe we're wandering away. We've walked off the path that God has for us. Does that mean that God's promises are off wandering? No, His promises are there the same. He is still there the same. He is close to us and He always will be. You may fear that you have done something or that you will do something to thwart the plans of God for your life, to stop the promises of God being fulfilled. You might doubt that God is actually working all things together for your good. You may be frozen in fear of making a wrong decision in case you're altering God's perfect plan. But the thing is, we will fail. And we do fail. And... We have failed. The answer isn't to make all the right decisions and to just be better. Our answer is this covenantal relationship with Jesus. The answer is that he has bound himself to you, to your heart. And as frustrating as that might be when you're making a decision, you know, Jesus, you know, that's the answer. It can seem a little bit frustrating if you're leaning you're like yeah you know I'm asking how will I know this is the confirmation that we have Colossians 2 when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made you alive with Christ he forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Do you know that you and I had a legal indebtedness? that stood and condemned us? Do you know that you and I have broken that covenant, that we have not fulfilled our end of the bargain, that we have failed, we have sinned, we have made the wrong decisions, yet every bit of that punishment that was meant for us was pinned on Jesus, was nailed to the cross that day when Jesus died for us. His body was literally like those animals that had been slain and broken apart. He said, let me wear that. Let me carry that. In my body, let it be broken apart and laying out for the salvation of all. There became a new covenant in Jesus' blood that day. Once and for all, he paid the price of our sins and our failures, past, present and future. Fear can flee. Fear can flee. For we aren't measured by our actions, but by this saving action of Jesus Christ. What is required of us now? 
You know, it's the same thing. It's been required of us from the very beginning of our origin story. It's simply to believe. It's not to make ourselves great and to try and attain that. It's to simply believe what Christ has done. Jesus says this in John 6, 29. The work of God is this. There is a work. What is it? To believe in the one he has sent. To believe. That is all that God is asking us to do. He's saying, I've paid the price. I've done all the work and I will continue to do the work. And all you need to do is to simply believe what I have said, what I have done. You just need to believe it. That is the work that he requires of us. You know, Jesus Christ has taken responsibility every single one of your actions. You know, when Brock and I were buying our house, there was this moment where, you know, it's a big process if you've bought a house. It's a big process you need to go, go through. There's especially your first home. There's a lot of things that you need to have, a lot of contracts you need to sign, a lot of conversations and emails and all sorts of stuff. But I specifically remember this one moment where I'd had this conversation with the conveyancer or well, the real estate agent, I can't remember. Anyway, this one, this one moment where I suddenly had this realisation, oh my goodness, this weight of ownership of this house is no longer on the shoulders of the old owners, but that's on my shoulders. Like, I am responsible right now. If that house burns down, that's my problem, right? If the roof caves in, I'm the one who's going to need to pay for that. If something breaks, I'm the one who needs to replace it. If the mortgage rates rise, and they did, that's going to be coming out of my pocket. You know, it's this realisation of the weight of responsibility that I had in being the owner of this house. You know what, you and I, we're also big responsibilities. We are. We're like adult-sized toddlers who can drive cars and have jobs and have families. You know, we make big mistakes and big messes. You know, full-size, adult-size mistakes and messes. But do you know that you have been bought at a price? Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You are not your own. You have been bought at a price and what a great price that was. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. You are not your own. If you have given your life to Jesus, crazy, guess what? He has your life. You've given it to Him. He has it. He owns it. He's responsible for it. The responsibility when you come before Him and give Him your life and become a Christian, a child of God, the responsibility, it's like the signing of the contract. It moves from being your responsibility, your life, to being His responsibility. 
Therefore, with every fire and every flood, He's the one who pays the price. For every mess on the carpet, He's the one who cleans it up. For every scratch on the door and, you know, thing that falls off, He's the one who deals with it because you are not your own. Every sin that you've ever committed, every mistake that you've ever made, every every flaw or, or scar that you see left on your body, He now owns it. And He doesn't just rent you out to anyone. He lives inside of you. He lives, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Comforter, the Prince of Peace. He moves into your heart and He loves it there because every one of those mistakes, every bit that's falling apart and, you know, crooked, He covers by His blood. So then when God sees us, He sees us covered, freed, righteous, blameless but not because of us because the King of Kings has moved in our Saviour has taken ownership for us how good is our God He is so good and man we aren't worthy but I'm so glad that Jesus that God made the decision to put on human flesh, to become mortal, even though He could have stayed immortal, and to allow His body to be broken apart for you and for me. You know, that is available for every single one of us. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Will you stand with me this morning? You know, we can know for certain the future that God has for us because the contract has been signed, right? The new covenant has been established and it has been signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a lasting, forever binding agreement that God has made with us. It's an agreement where He does all the work and we just receive it. We just believe it. Maybe this morning you're asking God like Abram did, that question of how will I know? Something in your future, a decision that's coming up. Maybe you're questioning how will I know the right thing that God wants for me to do? And that's still a good question. It shows that we want to be listening to God and following His will for our lives. But God's answer for us is the same answer that He gave to Abram. You can trust me. I have proven that by laying my body out that you can trust me. Fear no longer has a grip because your future is in my hands. You don't need to fear I will make my promises come true in your life. You don't do that. I do that. So therefore, fear can flee when making a decision around the future because we can trust God and that relationship that He has with us and we have for Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, The one who calls you is faithful and He will do it. If He's called you to something, you need to know that He is faithful and He will accomplish it accomplish it we just watch him we partner with him and we watch him do his work so if that's you this morning how about we close our eyes and 
If you're asking like Abram has asked, God, how will I know? Like I said, it's not a bad question, but I believe that God wants to just bring some peace into your heart around those decisions. So with every eye closed, if that's you this morning and you're asking, how will I know? Do you want to pop your hand up? And I just want to pray for you and whatever that decision is that's on your mind. We're going to pray together. Father God, we thank you that you have made this binding agreement with us, that you are going to be with us forever through thick and thin, through the ups and downs, Lord. And we don't need to fear, God, because you are the one who's holding our lives. You're the one who's holding our future. And I pray, God, for every person who's wondering at the moment, God, how will I know? God, I just pray that right now you will cover them in their and let them know, all right, I can trust God. I can trust Him with my future. I can trust that He is working all things out for the good, that He will do what He has got for me and my life and the life of my family. We thank You for that, God. In Jesus' mighty name. Second thing I want to pray about is for those who might be struggling with this concept of grace. And that's a big one. You might kind of understand it in your mind, but in your heart you find yourself still working, still pushing, still striving, still feeling like if you don't do something, that something's going to fall, that this plan, this promise is going to come crashing down. And maybe you feel like you're the one who needs to scrub yourself and be blameless before God when God's saying, no, 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 I'm the blameless one. You just got to believe it. You just got to receive it. You just need to stand in me, in my blamelessness. As it says, Genesis 15, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I just want to pray that if anyone is feeling that, that 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 weight will just lift off. And instead of feeling like you've got to work to earn something, to earn the grace of God, that you can just realise it is given freely and that you may just receive it. So if that's you this morning, you're like, yeah, I think I have been trying to do things in my own ability rather than trusting in the ability of God, will you reach out your hands with me? And we're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, right now we reach out our hands to you, acknowledging God that we have failed. We do fail and that we'll continue to fail. But Lord, that you have covered us in your grace and in your mercy. Lord, I thank you that this contract that we entered in with is is not based upon us and our abilities, but Lord, upon you. And we know your word says that you never fail. Even when we are faithless, that you remain faithful. And so, Father, I pray for everyone in this room this morning and those reaching out to you, that we will understand in a new way your grace, that we have been bought at a price, that we are no longer our own that you own us and we can relax in that. We can relax in the grace that you have given us, God. I pray for any works mentality right now to flee in the name of Jesus and for us to know, God, that it is by you you and your grace alone in Jesus' mighty name. And lastly, with everyone keeping their eyes closed, if you have never stepped into that covenantal agreement with God, the one where He does all the work and we just believe. And this morning you want to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says if you do that, 
you will be saved. And maybe it's someone watching online as well, and you can do this wherever you are. But if you have never made that decision to ask Jesus to come into your life, to be your Lord and Saviour, to take ownership for you and your mistakes and your shortcomings, and you want to, you want Him to take that ownership. Well, this morning, can you raise a hand as a sign to God saying, I want to be your child. I want you to be my Lord and my Saviour. Praise God. That is the best decision that you will ever make. And right now, we're going to pray this prayer together. And if you're praying this for the first time, this is the most exciting thing that God is, is, is bringing you into the fold. He's bringing you into His family. Father, let's pray this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, every voice. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I've failed. But I thank you for your grace. I believe you died for me and rose again so that I may have eternal life. I ask you now to come into my life. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. And I believe in you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's just give a round of applause. And that is, people who made that decision are so exciting. It's so exciting. And that is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. You've just entered into this relationship with God. And man, you know, there are highs and there are lows, but through everything, God is with you. You can be sure of that. So if you did make that decision, find me, find a pastor, find someone that you know has got a relationship with Jesus and tell them. Talk with them about it. Find yourself a Bible. We've got some, I think, at the back. Um, but for the rest of us right now, we're going to worship. Thank you for tuning into our online service today. But hey, if you got something out of that message, we would love to hear from you. So why don't you head over to life.house and find the My Response section and tell us all about it. And as well as that, we know it was good tuning in online, but what's even better is being here in the house. So we run our services every Sunday at 10 a.m. So we would love to see you here, to hear how your week's been and to fellowship with you. But I hope you have a blessed week. Uh, and I'll see you around.